Thank you, Brother Armacost. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke in chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22, and I'd like to begin in verse 31. I'm grateful and thankful for the opportunity to be here, and I'm delighted that you're here as well. How we trust that God's word will speak to your heart. I'm grateful God has brought you to uh, to Fairhaven Baptist College and or Christian school. And and, uh, I just trust and pray that the Lord will direct you, lead you in these days, and confident that he will. You know, sometimes we, well, all of my life I was taught you have to find God's will for your life, a phrase that is never found in the Word of God. In fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite. You don't go out and find God's will. God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And so instead of me trying to find God's will, God says, instead, I'll just show you my will. My job is to make sure my heart is right with God. I'm tuned to the Word of God. And, and you know, if you're right with God and His Word and you're in love with Calvary and the Savior, you can't miss the will of God. It's not like, well, you know, I tried. No, 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 no. It's all the Lord's problem from here. My job is to get right and stay right. And then He said, I will show you the way to go. So if He hasn't showed you yet, then it's not time. Nothing to worry about, nothing to panic about. And I'm just thankful that God has raised up men and ladies in this room with a heart for the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Uh, Nothing to panic over. Just say, Lord, here am I. Send me. And he'll, He'll take it from there. He always does. And, you know, everybody comes to the end of the race. They look back and they always say, Jesus led me all the way. Sometimes it doesn't seem like that at the time. You know what I mean? You just say, well, i got to decide, and i got to decide now, especially if you're junior, senior, whatever the need may be. But no, no, when it's time, in the right place, the Lord will take care of that. You just make sure you keep your heart. I make sure I keep my heart close to Him. And uh, my, just living for the Lord, living for the will of God, there's nothing better. You have your Bible this morning, the Luke chapter number 22. Uh, the Passover now is finished. Uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper has been established. The disciples have sung the last hymn, most likely. That would have been Psalm 136. And now in John 13, 31, the Bible says they have left the room. Very, very likely, very possibly, anyhow, about this time as we come to Luke 22, 31, the disciples and Jesus are crossing the Kidron Valley. And, and of course, they don't have the electric light back then, and, and it could have been very dark. However, during Passover week, it is the week of the full moon, so unless it was an extremely cloudy night, they certainly could see well enough. And, and as they're making their way over the Kidron Valley in verse 31, the Bible says, and the Lord said, Simon. Simon. We got a problem here, don't we? You have a mother, you know, we all have mothers, obviously. But you got a mother that when she repeats your name, you say, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. Ladies here don't have a problem with this, but the guys do. And and the only thing worse than hearing Simon, Simon would be hearing Simon and then your middle name. If you have a mother that does that, it's all over. Well, when Simon hears his name twice, Simon's got to know it's big trouble now. And maybe even more so, the Lord didn't say, Peter, Peter. He goes back to Simon's old name. And, and you know, that alone should have arrested Peter's attention. And Peter should have realized when Jesus said the words, the name he had before he met the master, before he was saved. You think that old name would have arrested his mind and his thinking. And Peter would have said, there's still some old man in me. 
And you know, if I am not careful and if you're not careful and if Peter's not careful, it doesn't take very long before you can make a very serious mess of things. And when Jesus said, Simon, Simon, well, in the Bible, he does that two other times. One was Martha, Martha. The other time was on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So when Jesus repeats the name, then you better wake up and realize there's something awfully important here. And and the Bible tells us in verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, and then there's this word again, behold, yeah, I love that word. Every time you read that word in the Bible, I mentioned yesterday, it's, that it's kind of the Bible way of the Lord saying, and you're not going to believe what happens now. I mean, here we go. It's time to fasten your seatbelt because here's one more story that, you know, humans could never write. And the Bible tells us, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you uh, that you may, he may sift you as wheat. It's the story of Job all over again. He he says, Simon, you don't understand that right here, right now, tonight, in this place, Satan desires to grab you like like a farmer would and, and take the wheat and just smash it down on the rock. He wants to sift you. He wants to cut off the head of the grain and and then beat the grain and shake the grain violently until the grain finally falls into the bottom of the container. And and if you'll notice carefully, we can't really do this in our English language, but when he said, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. That you is a plural word. By the way, if I could go back to college and do one thing all over again, not that you asked, but I'd listen better in English class. <laughs> I really would. Because, oh, that was brutal. And I know every, every school's got an English teacher. And it's, you know, I get it. But no, I'm just kidding. But I would because the longer you study the Bible, you're more the reason the Bible is a book of words. And the tenses and all the things you think, what do I need this for? It's amazing how 10, 20 years from now, if you're a preacher and if you love the Bible and you preach the word, how, how you're just going to have to be looking up what you could have got while you were in English class. It really is kind of important. And if I go back, that's what I do again. And again, not that you ask. So Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you. He's not just talking to Peter now, but if the disciples were smart, the rest of them would have realized that Peter may be in the crosshairs right now. But Jesus isn't just talking to you, Peter. He's talking to you disciples. He's talking to the whole group. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You ask what Jesus is saying? Peter, you and the rest of you, right now Satan wants to take you and rip you to shreds. If Satan gets his way right now, he is going to beat you against a rock. He is going to tear you apart. And when he is done, he is going to leave you broken and in pieces. And if there ever was a moment in Peter's life that was an incredibly dangerous moment, an incredibly terrorizing moment, and an incredibly important moment, it was right here. So what's good old Peter going to say? Go down, if you would, to verse number 33. And he, Peter, said unto him, that would be Jesus, Lord, I am ready. Here we go. You get the idea this is a disaster waiting to happen. Father, help us now as as we go to the mighty word of God. And I pray for men and ladies in this room. and, And Lord, the great lesson you had to teach Peter that night. Lord, may we have the wisdom to go to the Bible and learn it for ourselves. Even right here, right now. 
And Father, before we learn the hard way, may we learn the glorious way through the mighty eternal words of God. Bless these men and bless these ladies. Encourage them for Christ. I ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You know, Peter certainly had a lot of great moments, didn't he? It was a great moment when his brother got him off the fishing business by the northern shores of Galilee. And as the crow flies some 20 miles away, on the other side of the Jordan River in what we call the country of Jordan, there was Jesus. And why Simon goes to Jesus, and it's not long before Simon meets the Savior. And what a day it is when the Lord takes his sins away. What a day it is for any one of us when we're born into the family of God. Not long after that, Jesus would go to Simon. Simon came to him. Now Jesus goes to Peter on the north shores of Galilee by that little fishing village of Bethsaida. And on the greatest night that Peter ever had, I mean, he just caught a boatload of fishes, even more important. Now he knows the secret spot. Man, he knows exactly where to go. And the Lord Jesus comes and says, Peter, you've got a choice to make. You can spend your life fishing for fish and you will be a great success. Or you can spend your life fishing for souls. And that was the day that Peter turned his back on mammon. He turned his back on the stuff of the world and said, my life for Christ, my life for the will of God. Of course, there was that day when Peter healed his mother-in-law. Maybe that wasn't a highlight. I don't know, what can I tell you? But maybe it was. And of course, there was the day when, when Peter walked on the water and you would say today, well, he didn't get very far. And I'd have to tell you, he's gotten a whole lot farther than I've ever gotten. And of course, there was that single moment in the New Testament where Peter exalted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the son of the living God. Another high point, Peter goes up into the mountain with James and John and there Jesus is transfigured in glory before him. There he literally hears the the voice of God. And as a side point, he gets to meet two national heroes, Moses and Elijah. I mean, it wasn't just two great Bible heroes. This would be like someone who loves America meeting up with George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. It really is a great occasion. And then, of course, there was the day when he found the coin in the mouth of the fish. There are many, many great spots and highlights in Peter's life. In John six sixty eight, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? And we believe in our sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, there are some incredibly important moments in the New Testament where Peter seems to outshine them all. And he had a tendency to all rise to the top of the wave. And, and why there are occasions where Peter just didn't get it right, he got it incredibly right. There are others that got their singles and their doubles, but Peter found the way to hit some grand slams. But I'm afraid there came some moments where Peter, he didn't go very well. You know, right before the verse we read this morning in verse number 24, uh, on that night before the events of Calvary, uh, on that night within 24 hours, of course, Jesus is on a cross And what do you suppose Peter and the rest of them are doing? And in 24, there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? You know, is that pretty sad? I mean, it's this most important night of all nights, and there's Peter and the rest of the disciples. And you say, well, he's not named, but I think we all get the idea Peter had to be in the middle of this one. And they're having a big debate about which one's going to be the greatest. You know, move over there, Moses, and slide over there, Abraham. And, and Elijah, you know, just, just go ahead and just pick another seat here because old Pete is about ready to show up and everybody knows where he gets to sit in heaven. And, and he had some great moments, but I'm afraid he even heard Jesus say, Get thee behind me, Satan. And now the Lord Jesus looks in his eyeballs and he's on the way to Calvary. 
And he says, Peter, Satan wants to take you and rip you apart, to cut you down, to tear you to shreds. And the Bible tells us that Peter says, I am ready. I don't think so. Peter certainly is in trouble now because he is impressed with himself. Peter is in trouble now because not only is he impressed with himself, and we know that, I mean, I'm the guy sitting on the right hand up there, but he's also lying to himself. And the more impressed I am with myself, the more prone I am to lie to myself. And if somehow anybody this morning has the idea, you're not talking about me, you need to read your Bible. Because the biggest liar that I will ever deal with, it's awfully close to me. It's like right here. Because my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I mean, my heart's always going to look for another lie to tell. My heart is always going to look for one more fraudulent thing to say. That's why when our world, and especially the Hollywood culture says follow your heart and follow your dreams that's really a big big mistake and could I say and I know people mean different things but if you're going to be a preacher you really really don't want to preach a message that's on your heart no seriously do you know there's a whole chapter in the bible against that I'd love to give to you I just run out of time because lunch is next but but (laughs) you say well if you don't get your message from your heart where do you get it How about the Bible? Wouldn't that be a good place to go? Uh, I understand what people mean when they say that, but it kind of is a dangerous thing to say because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And this morning, about the very last thing that I need to do is stand here and say something that you really don't need to hear. And that's something that my heart is dreamed up and my heart is figured out. And, And Peter now, because he is following himself and impressed with himself, he's going to start lying to himself. And it really is a huge lie. I am ready. You're ready? Do you know? In fact, the only hope Peter has in verse number 22 goes, I'm sorry, 32 goes like this. Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee. In the language of the New Testament, there are seven different words for prayer. And this would be the one that is the most intense of all. This would be the one that has got the most urging of all. This one means to beg. It means to plead. It means to urgently go to God. In other words, the hour is so desperate and the time is so late and Peter is just hanging in the balance. There's Peter just kind of just on that thread and his life is about ready to come crumbling apart and he's walking around having a big debate on, here's the reasons I ought to sit on the right hand of God. Here's how important I am. Here's all the great stuff that I have done. And, and now when Jesus looks at him and says, Satan's ready to rip you apart, he pretty much is saying, Satan, he's never met anybody like me. Boy, am I ready. And Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Please don't misunderstand this verse. It is not Peter's faith losing his salvation and going to hell. And when the Bible tells us that he would be converted, uh, well, in the New Testament, conversion can talk about an unsaved sinner coming to Christ, but it can also just simply mean what the word means, to turn around. And Peter is about ready to make an incredible mess of things. And the Lord Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand, but tonight, tonight you are on the verge of throwing everything away. You are on the verge of becoming the first demon You are on the verge of turning your back on everything that is right and everything that is godly. But tonight, I have begged with God. You say, what is Jesus praying about in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, there's evidently a few things, and one of them's right here. 
I am praying for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. And Peter says, nothing to worry about. I'm ready. And Jesus says, I'm praying for you tonight because you don't understand how dangerous this moment is. When Peter is seeking his own greatness, Jesus is warning him about his own weakness. When Peter thinks he's standing so straight and tall that he can't go anywhere, Jesus says, you're about ready to fall and you have no idea how far you can fall. And all Peter can say is, good old Pete, ah. There's some awfully important lessons here for me and for you, aren't there? I guess lesson number one is that you and I need to realize Satan never takes a vacation. Every moment of every day, Satan is always working evil. He doesn't even take a coffee break. I mean to tell you that Satan is coming after you. He is coming after me. And, and if it's not what we read in this chapter, by the time we get to First Peter, how about that? We learn that Satan is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. No, whether I realize it or not, he's coming after me. Whether you see it or not this morning, he is coming after you. There are not too many places I've ever been that is all more awesome and all more take your breath away than being out in a safari in a place like Kenya. And you know, to watch that lion crouching and looking for his prey. I mean, there's just nothing quite like that I've ever seen. And imagine Satan does it all the time. And he's not looking for some little wildebeest or some helpless little zebra or some sorry little giraffe. He is looking for you and He is looking for me and he is ready to pounce with his fangs, dig them into our lives and rip us to shreds until there's nothing left. Satan's coming after you. He's coming after me. I think we need to look at Peter and realize 24 hours from right now, any one of our lives can be a first-class shipwreck. By this time tomorrow, Pastor Mitchell could be talking about any one of us in this room. And he could be shaking his head, hey, I can't believe it. I think we need to learn another lesson. You know you need Jesus. I know I need Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, we need Jesus a whole lot more than we even think we do. And if it's not Jesus, I'm going to have a colossal wreck of my life. If it's not for Jesus, you're going to make a total disaster of your life. We don't know how helpless and hopeless we are. So in verse number 32, the only hope you get in these verses, Jesus said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Hi, Peter, you're about to make a disaster. You don't even know what you're going to do. Of course, Jesus does. But he said, Peter, when it all happens, there is going to come a day when God's going to deal with you and you're going to convert and you're going to return to him. And when you come back to him, you're going to have a job to do to strengthen your brethren. No, Peter, one day you are going to come back to your first love. And all Peter can do is simply say, I am ready. It's a word of arrogance. And it's a word of presumption. It's a word of self-confidence and it's a word of deceitfulness. I am ready. But even more so in verse number 33, you know, Peter doesn't seem to know when he's well off and leave it alone. And after he has already boasted, and you know, it's one thing to say something dumb and kind of get away with it. But if you say something dumb and it's written down in the Bible, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. 
you know, 100,000 years from tonight, somewhere in heaven that's going to get around to this verse, and poor old Peter's never going to live it down. You know, he, he, he's got a couple of good ones he can go back to, but this, this one's going to get him. Because he didn't just say, I am ready. He said, let me explain what this means. In verse number 33, he kind of punctuates it with the word Lord. Yeah, Lord, he says, excuse me, but I am ready to go with thee both to the prison and to the death. Is that right? And you know, you're not even going to make it with a little maid. I am ready. So in verse 34, he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now, Peter, the sunrise is not coming until you're going to deny me again and again and again. And with Peter, no doubt, shaking his head, saying, but you don't understand. I am ready. And Jesus saying, Satan wants to thrash you. I am ready. You don't understand. Before the cock crows a few hours from now, you're going to disgrace your life. And Peter says, but I am ready. Sure enough, the scene moves to the Mount of Olives in verse number 49. And when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, and how silly is this? Lord, shall we smite with the sword? You know, if this weren't such a dead serious moment in the Bible, this would almost do for comedy. Here come these Roman soldiers, and there's at least 600 of them, if not more. And Jerusalem is just packed with Roman soldiers during the Passover because the emperor feared a great rebellion coming out of Israel. So with hundreds of thousands of people, there were tens of thousands of Roman soldiers, and and they all carried their war swords, huge, huge swords over their shoulders. When the Bible tells us the disciples say we have two swords, the sword they're talking about is a little dagger, yea, big. So here are these Roman soldiers with their big war swords and here are the disciples with their little daggers and and, and, you know, we got our two daggers. Are we ready to start the revolution? And and the Lord Jesus got to shake his head. This is not going to be a night of revolution. This is going to be a night of salvation. And in verse number 50, one of them, and, and we know the one of them, John rats him out, it was good old Peter. And one of them, and by the way, it's possible the reason here it says one of them and John tells us it's Peter is that when the book of John was written, Peter had probably already died. So it's almost like, well, let's just keep them innocent here and the name's out of this until it doesn't matter anymore. I don't know. But one of them smoked a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Here we go. Good old Peter, who's ready, is about to make a colossal mess of things. And now here comes a servant, and we know from John his name was Malchus. Malchus was an Arab name, and it was very common that the religious establishment would have Arab slaves. And yet as such, he was not only a servant, but he was also a representative. These are the guys that would do the dirty dealings of the religious establishment. And and Peter, it seems, doesn't wait for the answer, does he? You know, we got two swords. This is enough, and one of them's close enough. So, so Peter's already decided how this night is going to proceed. He reaches in, grabs out a dagger, and goes after Malchus. And, and I guess we have to watch the video in heaven to know what happened. Maybe he was going for his neck, and Malchus moved his head. Uh, however it works, unfortunately, he cut off the man's right ear. Now, it's awfully easy to hammer Peter, and well, we should. But, but we could point out, I guess, at least Peter was brave. And at least Peter was making good on his vow. And at least he was willing to fight. And when everybody else was running away, at, at least it seems Peter was willing to, to stand up for Jesus and fight for him. And Jesus said, it is enough. And don't understand that. He's not saying two daggers are enough. 
But it is enough is, is kind of like we would say, enough is enough. Enough of this nonsense. No, no, no. Peter, you don't understand. I have not come here to deliver you from Rome. I have come here to deliver you from your sins. And it's the same thing in verse number 51, where they're ready to start a big revolution. And Jesus said, suffer ye thus far. That's a Bible way of saying you are permitted to go no further. This is where it stops. And it stops right here and right now. Enough of this and no more of this. I am not here to do, Peter, what you think I ought to do. I have come here to fulfill the will of my Father. See, when Peter's ready, you realize what he's doing? He's getting in the way of Calvary. And when Peter is ready, he's getting in the way of the will of God. And that's exactly why you don't want to do this your way and I don't want to do this my way and and you don't want to follow your dreams and I don't want to follow my heart and we don't want to do this like we feel. We want to make choices that line up with the Bible. Because when we do this our way, invariably, we're going to get in the way of the will of God. And it's one thing to get in the way of the will of God today. But for Peter, that meant that he was trying to stop Calvary. Enough of this. Human wisdom. Here's Peter got all the answers, doesn't he? Got everything all figured out. Oh, I got this down here. We are going to take our two daggers and we're going to take on the Roman Empire. Enough is enough, Peter. You're in the way of the cross. I'm ready. Well, of course, in verse 51, Jesus touched his Malchus's ear and healed him. And it's Dr. Luke who tells us of the miracle surgery. Of course he does. Then we get down to verse number 54. The scene has moved to the house of the high priest Caiaphas. Uh, Most likely John has gone into the palace with Jesus and and it appears that Peter is out in the courtyard and and the Bible says they took him. That's a Bible way of saying they seized him or arrested him and they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And in verse number 54, you know this isn't going to end well. It says, and Peter followed afar off. Well, by now the disciples had forsaken him and fled. Of course, Judas is figuring out how to hang himself. Ten disciples are running, or nine are running for their life. John is inside the palace with Jesus, and Peter's the one guy kind of in the middle of everything. You know, he's kind of like that old boy in the Civil War. He had friends in the north and friends on the south, and he wanted everybody to like him. So he went out and got him a blue coat. He said, the north is going to like me. He got him a gray pair of slacks so the south would like him. And, of course, the poor guy got shot in both ends. The south shot him right in the heart. And the north shot him right in the bottom. And that's what happens when you can't figure out whose side you're on. I mean, one foot's with Jesus and the other one's kind of trying to slide away and follow the rest of the disciples. So Peter winds up following afar off in the courtyard. That's exactly what happens when we follow, but we don't follow too closely. You know, we know we want Jesus and we know we ought to serve Jesus. And and we know we have a great debt to him, but we just don't want to get too, too close. That's what happens when we think we're ready. In verse number 55, when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the hall, an open space in the courtyard now, and most likely on a cold April night, a fire 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem amongst wealthy people would have been started with charcoal, and they were set down together. Peter sat down among them. You know, when you read the verses, you put all the verses from the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, it seems like one minute Peter stands, and then the next minute Peter sits, and then he stands, and, and he's an awfully restless man, and that's usually the way it works when we think we're ready. In verse number 56, a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, 
Uh oh, it would appear Peter got a little too close to the fire. And the Bible says as the fire illuminates his face that she earnestly looked upon him and said, this man also was with him. He followed afar off, but evidently it wasn't far enough off. And isn't it fascinating that it's not a guard now. It's not some man. It's not one of the high priest servants. It's it's not one of the members of the religious establishment. It is a slave girl that sees him. And, And of course, in verse 57, he denied him saying... You know, to us, maybe we miss it, but in the language of the Bible, that word woman was very insulting. He was saying, you're just a slave woman. Who do you think you are? How dare you talk to me? Woman, I know him not. This phrase, I know him not, is the Jewish rejection formula. When somebody was thrown out of the synagogue, the family members, the friends were to point at him and say, I know him not. I know him not. Peter is not just saying, you know, I'm not sure. He says, no, no, I'm not of him. I don't know him personally, and I don't know anything about him. But I thought you were ready. Then in verse number 58, after a little while, another saw him and and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. If you look at that carefully, Peter is not only denying Jesus, but now he's denying all the other disciples too. Now, I am not one of these people. The second time. But Peter, I thought you were ready. And then to finish it off in verse number 59, about the space of one hour. Isn't that fascinating? You know, it'd be fascinating to get to heaven and find out what Peter thought about for one hour. One hour can go by fast, but I'm suspecting it seemed to be an awfully long hour. You know, Peter could have done a lot of things. Peter could have wept and repented. He could have said, yes, I am with him and identified with him. For that matter, Peter could have turned and got out of that courtyard and ran with his life. But no, no, he just sits there. And for a whole hour, he just sits there. And now another confidently affirmed, this is the relative of Malchus now. And he said, of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. His speech gave him away. You know, a a crusty old fisherman in the courtyard of the high priest in Jerusalem would stand out pretty much like somebody from Birmingham, Alabama in the middle of New York City. There's some things you just can't hide. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spoke, the cock grew. Don't you think when that animal sounded that Peter should have said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And if he didn't get it by now, he certainly did in verse number 61. And the Lord turned. Maybe the Lord's in a gallery that would overlook the courtyard. Wherever Jesus was, he, of course, was just in the right spot. And he looked upon Peter. Brother, can you imagine what that look did? Peter heard a lot of words from Jesus, a lot of messages from Peter. But uh, Jesus, but I'm guessing the... The hardest message Peter ever heard was not from the tongue, but it was from the eyes of Jesus. And now Jesus looks at him and Peter looks back. And he sees the emaciated, bloody face of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees the man of sorrows. You think that Peter has a flashback, maybe to that mountain, maybe to that lake, maybe to the day where Jesus said, follow me. And and yet there was a time when Peter was sinking in the water and Jesus rescued him by the grip of his hand. Now Peter is sinking under the assault of Satan, about ready to be ruined for good. And once Jesus rescued him with his hand, but this time Jesus rescues him with the look from the eye. I am. How small the steps, but how far the fall. 
I am ready. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And in verse 61, Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Hi, Peter goes out of that place a broken man. The eyes of Jesus has preached the message. Calvary has captured the heart of Peter. And the guy who a few hours earlier was bragging, Oh, I'm the guy. Get out of the way, Moses. Get out of the way, Abraham. When Jesus said Satan wants to thrash you and rip you apart. He looked at Jesus and had the audacity to say, I am ready. And now he is out weeping and sobbing. While he is crying, the story of Judas is about ready to end with a noose. But you know, a broken Peter who realizes, I'm not quite as ready as I thought I was. It's just beginning, isn't it? Because when you turn the page, well, Peter's the first one to go to the sepulcher with John. And, and then we don't read the story in the Bible except that it says it happened. Somewhere Peter has a personal meeting with the risen Christ. And then, of course, by the Sea of Galilee, there is that amazing story of lovest thou me. And then it is Peter preaching in Acts 2. And, and Peter healing the lame man. And Peter who's in prison for Christ. And Peter is used of God to raise Dorcas from the dead. And, and Peter gets the Macedonian call. And, and Peter is sent to pastor a church in what we would call Iraq. And, and then Peter is used to write the words of First and Second Peter. And, and the rest of the New Testament tells us, well, what do you know? Peter was finally ready. Do you know when Peter was ready? When he realized he wasn't ready. And so long as we think we're going to tell the Lord how everything's working out and how it's all coming down and I got it all planned out. As long as we're trusting our flesh and you and I think, I am ready. All heaven can do is shake their head and like my dad says, you know, used to say, cruising for a bruising. But whatever it takes for me and for you to realize, I am not ready. In this old flesh, there dwells absolutely nothing good. When we know we're not ready, we're finally ready. And we'll be ready as long as we know we're not ready. And then when we say, I am ready, we got to go learn the lessons again. And Peter said, nothing to see. I am ready. Father, I pray that you would do a great work in this place and that you would do in our hearts and our lives that breaking of our pride and that breaking of our own self-sufficiency and, and our trust in our own power and our own might. And, and Lord, I pray you would find in this place men and ladies who want to get on their knees before the Lord and say, I am not ready. And Lord, if, if I can do if I will ever be kept from the attack of Satan, it is only by the power and the goodness of my Savior. Lord, help us to understand that right now in this building, in this hour, Satan desires to thrash us and to ruin us. And I pray you would find men and ladies humble before you. Teach us that we are not ready in our flesh. Would you stand together with me? And as we begin to prayerfully play the invitation song, the, this altar's a great, great place to get before the Savior. I'm not ready.